Welcome to this episode of Why Aren't Thou? And I am in the studio today with Christopher. So, Christopher, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm great. Thank you for having me. So you're an artist and a writer that specializes specifically in... Uh, Work about queer men, uh, the politics of owning a body, and a lot of like speculative futures. Absolutely amazing. And I've stalked you, of course. Your uh, Instagram bio has a link to an open letter of Tate Modern about the censorship of a black woman artist. Do you want to just quickly tell me what that is? So um, Jade Montserrat uh, is an incredible artist, educator, and makes really important work about addressing institutional frameworks. So there, I forgive me because I cannot remember his name. There was this awful collector who has a lot of work that's displayed at the Tate Modern who sent Jade grossly horrible racist um, messages. And the open letter is about the response from Tate who tried to get her commission pulled for calling it out. It is evil. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Um, This is actually kind of like a deep question, but it's something that I'm always interested in. So what are the qualities that you least and most like in your parents? Oh, <laughs> I mean, the qualities I most like about my parents was um, my dad's big dick. You so shut <laughs> your goddamn whore. <laughs> um, I I thought this was going to be like question time. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I do like about my parents, I think, actually, was a kind of thing like anything you want, you have to work hard for. Uh, my parents to go to uni and then like me and my sister were the first to go to uni and my parents were always like you can do anything you want in your life but you're going to uni because we couldn't so you're yes. going and even though i did fine art and they were a bit like oh you could have been a doctor <laughs> yeah. they were always kind of like you know you're working hard at this and even though they don't understand what in the slightest what i do they're still proud anyway yeah and that that kind of pride is special because they're like I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand this world, but you're happy and other people are telling me that you're good. So I'm a, I, yeah, I'm, it's amazing. I'm, I'm just going to go with that. I'm going to go with the flow. I can appreciate the work that you're doing, which is nice. <laughs> I think my parents actually wanted kids who were different to them, which was kind of cool. Like, <laughs> What are your parents like? Describe your parents. Describe your parents in three words. <sighs> okay. So, um, stern, loving, argumentative which it's, it's it's a great mix yeah i mean like my housemate would be like you always sound like you're arguing with your mom and I'm like we were just talking this, you this don't is everyday language yeah <laughs> it's like we're like a family of lawyers like we all have a case we will plead it we will pick it apart <laughs> you all listen fairly when you all got something to say you all listen fairly uh, we're a bit more like defense lawyers we, we put in a few tricks in there <laughs> <laughs> we've all got a bit of a spin a fruit degrading comments <laughs> yeah. right okay so thank you for asking those questions uh without further ado i'm just gonna drop the theme tune and get shit going yeah yeah so So we're here today to address, what do you want to address? 
I'll um, just... I reached out to this podcast to talk about a few topics that I think just aren't talked about well or presented well, aren't presented with kindness. You're on the right podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of, it's about predominantly queer men, nightlife, chemsex, the government, and people's bodies, <laughs> which okay. is like a very long around way to say London. <laughs> so you moved to London at what age? So I moved to London when, I mean, does Kingston count? I know you guys have big opinions about that. Because my sister went to Kingston University as well. And I, then when I came down to visit, I was like, this is definitely not London. This is literally on the outskirts <laughs> of something else. Anyway, so I, because I was 18 when I moved to London. So for me moving to London, as a, I just come out when I was 17 and that was just to my family and close friends. So me moving to London was that big gay dream of, oh my God, I'm going to move to London. There's going to be so many hot guys. There's going to be a really nice world out there. I'm going to make so many friends. I can finally go somewhere and be me without being judged. You know, it was like this whole dream that you see E.g., what was that? What's that book? Um, Straight jacket, like how it was perfectly described in there. When a lot of out of town gays move into big cities, but for you, how old was you? I was eighteen too. I was just starting my art foundation course at Kingston, so I was at Kingston University for a year too. And I think actually what you've said there about that utopian dream of I'm going to move into the city and for every reason I wasn't liked was afraid to be who I am is going mm -hmm. to be the reason that people like me. And I think that pull of young people to cities is really, A, really important, it, but also- Slightly I, dangerous. I just think, I just think that promise is very rarely realized because what you don't understand at that age as much is that that's all also dependent on like class, background, all these reasons mm -hmm. That why that you know you won't move into your sex in the city flat with all your girlfriends <laughs> and like fall out the window. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think that little heartbreak that most young queer people have in their early twenties of this isn't what I thought it would be. Yeah, the shadow is of universal reality. and still quite damaging. It was for me, I think. Yeah, um, it was a mixture because. I never felt like it was a heartbreak. I never felt like what I expected never really came true. I was able to be myself and be accepted. Um, I've only ever had two comments made against my sexuality, four comments against my race in London. So it was never like my dreams were shattered in that way. So just explain to me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was, I realized quite a dramatic statement, but I could no, say, I do, I know, I do a lot of writing. I, I'm so interested in just like narrativizing the shit out of my life. <laughs> um, but like I don't know I think actually it was interesting I use he him pronouns now but for a lot of my teenage years for a lot of personal reasons I identified as like non-binary and I, I was like really excited to move to London to express myself more basically in my clothing and appearance start wearing eyeshadow put on a cute skirt i'm six foot three yes. <laughs> like like really just like feel that like i'm me I, yeah I'm living my yeah, true self and i think i really put london on a pedestal like this was the place where everything was going to happen for me mm -hmm. and it was nice it's naivety i think i think like you are so naive when you move to london in terms of like living your dream queer life and like especially because i was just like engaging all of that media like um queer as folk and skins where like everything's oh, just yes. like big 
burst of hedonism and even <laughs> even even all the pain you look beautiful yeah like, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I, so i'm a be happy stoneham one tear falling down my <laughs> cheek like snatched and i was an effie stoneham <laughs> reality check yeah reality check and that reality hit me hard i had to make that mistake <laughs> but like in terms i think of like queer loneliness i mean loneliness is an epidemic anyway it's it's in this like weird phase of capitalism where we're constantly told that we've never been more connected but none of us have ever felt more alone like i think a lot of experience when i was younger was like what led to maybe a slightly more unhealthy view of sex which then led to like me getting into the scene i did but in a way i want to i want to drive the conversation from Ken sex away from trauma and tragic backstories um where did you go in london for nightlife oh man when we're in kingston we used to track it like from kingston to dalston superstore you come all the way over here for the Dawson Superstore. You know yeah, what? I've yeah. never been to Dawson Superstore. It's never. Fine. It's 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 all right. <laughs> no, it was just like this kind of an like epic pilgrimage of me and two other queer people on my foundation. Like manage it. I mean, I'd get like three night buses over two hours from like three a.m. to five a.m. and get back to my halls in like Surbiton. <laughs> like I, I can better get a bed now. Like the energy drop from eighteen to twenty-four isn't is it mad? real. Remember when you used to go out like on a Friday and then you wake up at like 2 p.m. on a Saturday, then you go out again on Saturday night and you had all that energy and your body just recovered so naturally. Nowadays, nah, I go out for four hours. I'm oh. done for two days. I've got a two day hangover. Yeah, but it's just like really interesting in terms of the way that queer nightlife has changed. I mean, like the combination of sort of nightlife and drugs has always been part of the uk culture like so embedded in our music scene so embedded mm -hmm. in our cultural scene i mean you only have to go to an art gallery to see how people just aren't over 90s rave culture like it's just constantly rehashed but then like but i like that yeah no it was great <laughs> it was great it was um because there used to be vacant property in london so you could have a nightlife that wasn't about you know a 12 pound double gin and tonic Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fucking IB for prices. IB for prices. But what's been really interesting in me and my research, so a lot of my work and writing has been about, about sort of like, I guess it's known as like the chemsex crisis in London. But then when you compare like media representations of like chemsex and then media representations of like 90s rave culture, I mean... There's no difference. There's so much difference. <laughs> In 90s, on one hand, you have like 90s rave culture where everyone was like, it was this beautiful mixture of sex and drugs and everyone loved each other. Oh, 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 sorry. I thought you meant the way it's, you mean the way it's reported? Yeah, sorry, the presentation. Okay. Sorry, do you want me to start by that? No, 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 carry on. It's completely fine. <laughs> I thought you meant you made the way, the way it is. I was like, there's, there's not really much difference oh, no. to what it is. Because I mean, people are still taking drugs and going back and having a lot of sex. It's just different when it's in, when straight people do things compared to where gay people do things because there's some reports that i read and i uh, would carry on and i'm going to read you the report yeah so i think like what really winds me up is that like 90s rave culture is like seen as this like utopian space where bodies were interconnected and free and there was a resurgence in exciting dance music genres and then when you get to like the way that sort of like culture in the media are representing chemsex it's all serial killers <laughs> it's all um sort of monstrous so i'm I don't have like the most first person experience in chemsex so obviously there's di the difference is you go to usually after party right to take drugs and have sex not necessarily after party it's just a party to that take drugs and have sex like if you go into the definition of what chemsex is 
chemtex is what? A hundred percent. There's nothing to do with like sort of like in terms of sort of like cultural music production. But like what's interesting about that link is that sort of chemsex had its boom, particularly in London and then many mm-hmm. other city centres because A, the sort of lack of vacant property. So in terms of sort of like the ongoing gentrification and like reselling of land, particularly like I'll, I'll just speak about London, um, clubs started to have to close at free on the dot because someone had built a very expensive set of flats next to it and was now complaining about yeah. the noise. So this kind of shrinkage of spaces for queer people <clears throat> to get what I, I, I suggest that culture was offering went to zero, really. Clubs close at 3am pretty much. I mean, 5am if you're lucky. And 7am natu- if you're in Vauxhall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised they still even get away with that. Like, I'm, su- yeah. I'm, st- I'm still surprised now to see places open at 7am. Or 24 hours. There's some clubs that are actually 24 hours. It's a very, very rarity, but there is, I think there's one or two that is 24 hours. Um, anyway. And I think that... No, I don't think chemsex was just like it started at the after party where to go and it closed and then it end, became its own thing and it really only got into the media in sort of I would say the late noughties going into like the mid tens where suddenly it was a tabloid go-to for a while mm-hmm. there'd be constantly like horror stories there was like one in the guardian about like a guy who used to be in the army who like ruined his life yeah and barristers or- Barristers, parties, and vicars. Our father, who are in <laughs> I mean, the vicar one did make me. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's kind of like culture of like gay men being monstrous and gay men being predatory. Yeah, this um, is what I mean, the way it was reported, because there's also a lot of cis straight people that do. That have chemsex parties, but yeah, it's rarely reported. It's always like demonizing to the gay community, gay and bi men. I've heard several reports from many sources that sometimes straight people do drugs and, and have sex together. Together in our I world, cannot- in our country, <laughs> never. But that's, that's the thing, and that's that's the conversation that is not had as much is about. I don't think it needs to be represented as a positive thing. There is a serious amount of danger and there's a serious amount of people who have found themselves trapped and unable to escape because of the lack of government resources. But this kind of media representation is one of the reasons why those resources aren't happening. And it's really interesting to compare it to a lot of like media, let's say, in the AIDS crisis. So shout out to Douglas Crimp, who's a cultural theorist and one of my favourite writers. Um, He wrote a book called Melancholia and Moralism. So essentially moralism was the media and cultural response post-AIDS. So in the 80s, going on to the 90s, it was about how the absolute atrocity of AIDS in the community was a justification for gay men to behave morally. So therefore, don't have many sexual partners. Be in a committed relationship. Most of the time, it would be like, don't have sex at all. Don't be gay. The way that that situation was changed by republican politicians by right-wing media outlets to say well the problem is is that you're having sex not the problem is that you weren't having sex safely not the problem that like there wasn't enough resources and information available to young gay people the problem was that you're just having sex and for me the chemsex representation thing is like you know you can speak to someone about the lack of nhs funding for mental health you could talk about the fact that only really charities are the ones really dealing with people like London mm-hmm. Friend, who are an incredible charity that offer like free therapy services for people who want to get clean. Or, you know, 
when you start to say these services aren't happening, then if people's only sort of understanding of the topic is through a serial killer drama on BBC One, then the problem is like, stop doing it. And that's just not fair. And that's just not nuanced. So you're saying that there's not been like the correct representation of chemsex parties in the media. But obviously this is what it is because say my friend just worked for the independent and I was having a conversation. I said, you know what? I feel like an article needs to be written because I go to chemsex parties and it's a really nice experience and it's safe and it's in a controlled way. It's never going to be reported. So obviously the only thing that the media reports is obviously the bad things that's happening in the world to obviously scare people and fear people because I even went to a chemsex party and I actually never actually participated. I just sat there. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that picture of that guy that's like uh, uh, that gay party and everyone's like wearing underwear and he's just yeah. sat there and fully clothed? That was me at a party. I mean, I was like having a good time, things like that, and I was having conversations. But I just didn't have any sex. Um, before that, the only information I had due to chemsex related was the chemsex documentary, which actually scared me when i watched that documentary for christ's sakes and also the reports that you would read in the media eg you know there was an overdose um this guy so the, the, one interesting article was actually this gay couple one of them said let's do some drugs and the other one was not i've got work tomorrow he was a barrister he said i've got work tomorrow so i'm not going to do any so one of them took some g and then he was like talking he was having like a good night and then they went to bed and then they woke up and the one that took g died so then the, the news reported as chemsex murder but you know what i mean and it just the way it's reported is obviously completely wrong but yet again no one's going to report it and say and endorse it well i'm not asking for endorsement i'm not trying you know i was making a comparison to the 90s just in the way that like one type of drug taking was revered and the other one is, you know, horror, I think. However, that documentary was produced by Vice by two heterosexual journalists. And <laughs> that it, probably is, never it is experienced. shot like a horror movie. Like you just watched Hereditary last night. The soundtracks are similar. <laughs> like it's, it's the light, even just like down to the lighting yeah, where they're just, in like a dark or red lighting and like, how is it okay for like two straight journalists to go film gay men like a horror story? How is that dynamic ever okay? And I think that is the perfect gripe and the anger I feel about media is that a documentary, I mean, we know they're not truth, but they resemble truth. They resemble this is how it is. But as soon as you hear documentary, you just think this is true. This is everything that's on this is true. That's what, no, maybe not us, but that's what society does. Exactly. And like the impact that documentary has, I mean, here's the thing. If you are a gay man and you've just started to get in this community and everything's going well for you, and then you watch that documentary, you're just going to disregard it because like that picture is not the picture in your head. And the reality lies between those two things. You can be fine. You can be great. You can have a good time. Get up for work the next day. But on the other hand, there are innate risks and it is a balance. It, it is a gray area. But like consistently for so many years, all those media, all those media projections were horror stories. And it's, it's just well, it's as, a gay, as a gay game. man, you're just going to tune it out and then you're going to get yourself into real trouble because you're not going to have any access to like a real representation. You're just going to think, oh, straight people think we're having a horror story. I'm having a good time. So therefore, I don't need to be careful. It has the adverse effect. You think? Because for me, it, it didn't. For me, I was like, oh my God. 
if I ever go to one of these parties, I need to be extremely careful. Uh, first of all, I'll put, I never want to. I never want to go to a chemsex party. It put me off. Even I'm even, glad it put me off. Even wanting to go and hook up with somebody. That's what I actually did at first because I thought, oh my god, what about if someone literally just spikes my drink? Does your opinion on it change knowing it was done by two straight guys? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It really it does. does because you think. You know, it's like a white British man saying, you know what, I'm going to shoot a film, what it's like to be a black woman growing Af- up in Africa. You can, you, can, you can get it close and you can hear people's stories and speak to communities and, and like get a lot of information, but you can't fully know and address it to the right point. That's what, that's what I actually believe. It's just this time old question of like, if we could control the narrative, it would be better. It's but like a- I know someone who actually works at the BBC and they get tons of BBC drama scripts about chemsex. Like, it is the hot topic. Like, there's been, like, the GHB murders, like, that happened in, like, Islington. They get tons and tons and tons of scripts. And they reject most of them because it's just, it's just tragedy porn. It's just that, oh, young guy goes to a party, he's involved in a series of murders, he's beaten up, he's abused. Just imagine, and most of these writers are either not gay or have had no experience, and it shows. I think that there will always be a reason to convey gay men as predatory, and it will always evolve. So, like, going back into the 50s, we were just a danger to children. We were all pedophiles. Like, all of those, like, public health, like, documentaries about, like, be wary of this gay man who's going to take your son. Yeah. And then it evolved into just basically, like, degeneracy. So, like, all gay men are degenerates. They are callous. They are crude. Do what you want, but keep it behind closed doors because what you do is innately disgusting. And then it changed in AIDS that gay men are a public health hazard. And then it just feels to me that, like, the view of chemsex now is the new way that we've managed to make gay men dangerous and gay men predatory and gay men both the victim and the predator. It's just like, we never get to control that narrative. But I think what you can actually hold faith in is, I feel like you could get together all of our friends and if you said, can you speak about what a gay man is? I mean, a lot of the connotations will be positive and not like drug or negative related. I have faith in that. I have faith in like, I know. In terms of myself, I found myself in a position where I felt like my life wasn't as dark as that documentary, but it wasn't good either. And for a while it was, for a while I got the balance right. And then I didn't. And then things sort of imploded for me. And... I felt ashamed, so ashamed of getting help because I thought I would be seen as like one of the men on that documentary or like one of the men in those tabloid articles. Someone who would put their own pleasure and their own hedonism over the safety of themselves and others. I felt gross. I felt horrible. And that was such a barrier for me actually accessing care I need and like (laughs) basically getting my life on track and like I'm doing pretty good now. Like things have been pretty good for a horrible year. Things have been pretty good this Mm -hmm. year. And I think that's why this narrative matters. This is why the conversation matters because like lots of ideas that are necessary just seem radical to people. Like bring up the conversation of a needle exchange to someone and they'll be like, yeah. And I'm like, would you have it at your house? No way. Like, would you have what? I need like a needle exchange or like a place. Okay. Yeah. 
So like needle exchanges are very good to talk about chemsets because in terms of they are a way to stop spread of HIV mm -hmm. and for drug users to be using safely in the way that if they bring in like a dirty needle, they can like change it for a clean one free of charge. A lot so, of them in a lot of countries also have like free injection sites. So like there'll be like a nurse there to help people administer to you know, stop the deaths. Which is Even, good. Yeah, and these and are all these are all positive things, but like you mentioned them to people and they feel like you're supporting probably people taking drugs. That's that's what the one of the immediate reactions would be. Why would you support that? But it's not about supporting that. It's about it's gonna happen no matter what. And it's about how can we control that and how can we avoid, like you say, the rise in HIV and the, the rise in other health complications for people that are gonna use this. It's been proven time and time and again that decriminalizing works. So like Portugal, for example. Portugal, it's not illegal to take drugs. It's illegal to sell a lot of them, but you can have possession of them. You can be taking them. As long as you're not selling them, nothing is on you. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones who they're the ones who really invested in sort of community strategies in order for drug use. And it turns out if you treat drug p drug users with problems as people, they're more likely to accept help. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm talking about more heavy users, but I think in terms of many gay men who are within this community a lot of them i think find themselves in the same gray areas of i do this thing is negatively impacting my mental health it's negatively impacting my body image but i've not lost control of my life i've just started to get myself into something i don't feel i can get out to because like but isn't that losing control yeah, but like, <laughs> not like it is on TV. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not missing for seven days, and got, I've got teeth. Like, uh, I've got teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and it was only when I started to get help, and when people were like, "No, everyone's in this situation. No one. If if all you see is rock bottom, then you don't see actually how long it is to get there." Yeah, that's what I mean because I feel like for some people, you're not going to realize you need help until you're at rock bottom but if you just kind of like take a step back and just address the fact of like what chemsex is in a way like so it's sex under the influence of drugs usually ghb methadrone what's the other one meth meth just shorten that yeah <laughs> um so as human beings you know we enjoy to have sex we enjoy to take drugs and I just feel like it's also the way that we look at drugs because I have no issue with people taking drugs. I'm like, drugs are good in certain ways. If you do drugs in a controlled environment around a good group of people, you can have a nice experience within drugs. Give or take heroin. I mean... But yeah, if you date drugs back, I mean, even back in the day, you was having like priests and religious services that was taking like psychedelics and LSDs. And when you take certain drugs, e.g. LSD, and you even smoke a joint, you realize things about the world. And I feel like the way that the government controls this is obviously making drugs illegal. So you actually don't realize how fucked up the world is and how much we are literally rats in this big whole complex situation yeah in my opinion politics just drives me crazy and i can actually get so many debates about it all the time and i still stand by the fact is there's a need to be an uprise and the government needs to be <laughs> yeah. a younger and diverse government and i'll say that every single podcast if i need if until it actually probably changes <laughs> if, it, if it actually will in my lifetime but i mean they need to die sometime oh god yeah <laughs> we keep getting so blue balled man it's like trump has covid <laughs> boris has covid like it's i'm that, so close that. i'm so close and just it doesn't just doesn't get over the mark
anyway, um, going back to what we were saying. So last year there was 20 to 30 deaths due to a overdose at a Chemtex party. Accidents, as they want to call it. So let's just play a quick game. So higher or lower? Let's play higher or lower <laughs> of this. <laughs> so say, so we'll go 25 deaths. Yeah, as a number between 20 and 30, we'll just go middle. 25 deaths last year due to a overdose at a Chemtex party. So higher or lower deaths hit by somebody hit by a coconut? I'm going to go higher. Yeah, there was, last year there was 150 deaths in the world by people hit by coconut, right? So deaths from asthma, UK only this is, higher or lower than 150? Higher, higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an, are you asthmatic? No. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you want to be a man. So <laughs> last year there was 1,400 deaths. So if you just think about this, this is 25 can, deaths from Ken Sex Flated, right? There was 1,400 asthma deaths. So hit by a champagne cork worldwide. Lower. What, what number are you going to give? It's very, very close. I'm going to go for like 16. 24. Oh. So not that bad. Um, so falling out of bed. Higher. I mean, or, I I used to I used to work in a care home for a while. Like falling out of a bed is a big deal sometimes. So I'm gonna go for like I'm gonna go for like a hundred. Yeah, four hundred and fifty deaths, and that is just UK based. That is mad. <laughs> when I read that, I was I, like, four hundred fifty people have died for falling out of bed. It can be really serious if you're old. Like it, yeah. it, it can. I mean, those hospital beds are high. Ha- yeah, true. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> and those floors are hard. Yeah, I get vertigo. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can see my house from here. <laughs> no, but like, in terms, yes, the deaths are minuscule. They're still tragic in a way that a lot of them, it could very easily be less because the service is so underfunded. And like, the issue is just like, so not tackled. A lot of people, like, We'll go to A&E and we'll go through NHS ways and just be put into the same category as every other drug user. And it's been time and time said that like what is needed is a much more holistic approach. There's like one-to-one therapy that is sort of group meetings where like, again, coming to that question of representation, if you're in that negative cycle of like low self-worth and then like looking to people around you or looking to like representation in media and then getting that worth lowered a group session will change your life to just be there with a bunch of other gay men who are dealing with the same issues and just trying to like get on with their lives yeah and it's just it's this question of like compassion which is lacking in our world in so Mm -hmm. many different ways but in all mental health cases like in all mental health cases and all sort of addiction cases it's compassion that's missing i mean like the overtly medical status of dependence on drugs is really damaging in terms of the view that addiction is a sort of cognitive dysfunction or even in a lesser sense you have an addictive personality um that would never explain why addiction and why sort of let's just say like the damaging level of drug use always happens in minorities, always happens in working class communities, always happens to people who see the worse, the sharper end of the stick of capitalism and of governments and have always felt the least valued. But this idea of like it just being this like blanket 
medical issue that it's you as a person that has the problem it is you as the person who have chosen this for yourself okay it is you as the person who have got yourself into this mess rather than like the socioeconomic issues that made you feel this way that was actually really good because now you just said that it's made me realize that you know what the way that <laughs> the media is representing everything is completely like wrong in a way so you're literally saying that you know what you're not promoting chemtex parties, but what you're saying is if you go, you can go there. You can you can find like a safe environment. You can slightly find like accepted, find yourself a bit more, but just make sure you're looking after yourself and you're doing it a controlled way and you're doing it around people that respect you. And that's a really good summary. That's it. Like that. Yeah, that's what you, yeah, that's what you were saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what is one thing you want somebody to take away from listening to this podcast? That things are messy. Areas are gray. And you are the best judge of yourself. And if you're ever involved in something like this, the moment where it stops being fun, the moment when the party's a bit over, the moment where you feel like you can't connect to people, there is so many others like you and you won't be judged for getting help. And you come out of it like, I came out fine. <laughs> also, if you're in London and experience these issues, London Friend are great to reach out to. Um, you can phone Frank for any drug issues. And if you ever feel like your mental health is extremely bad, um, Samaritans, those are all great resources. So there is so much out and my Instagram handles there. So you can ask me anything too. At Sky Sports with a Z. With a Z. Very important. Um, so Chris, thank you so much for coming on this episode of Why Aren't Thou? You have been absolutely amazing. And I have been Simeon Taylor. <laughs> I'm Chris. And this has been... Why aren't thou? <laughs> if you stay tuned, I will be playing the latest song by Crisp and Classy, Gave You Life, available on Spotify and Apple Music. You don't know what it is I do, I do, I do I do, I do, I do Smells like basic Smells like motherfucking basic And sure, my allergy levels Are out of control Does anybody know what this is? I do, I do, I do Me the mash. She's tired.
And I'm not blasphemous Heard she died in the middle of the night Of insecurity and acute jealousy Jealousy, jealousy, jealousy But it's okay to be jealous of me I gave you life, I gave you life, I gave you freedom to kill a hive. I gave you life, I gave you life, I gave you freedom to kill a hive. So don't be climbing back to Mino. She got you locked down. Yeah.